Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. Join me as we head into service. And now let's turn to the Word of God. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the privilege of coming into your presence. We know that you're everywhere all at the same time, so there's none who is out of your presence. As your servant David said, whither shall I go from your presence and whither shall I flee? And so God, we acknowledge that you're already here. So we pray that the Lord Jesus would pass by every house so that someone can touch the hem of his garment. So someone's emotions might be healed. That a hung down head might be lifted up. Someone right now who's isolated and alone, let them know that you'll never leave them, that you're right there with them. Speak a word that will inspire, that will encourage, that will give us the strength to go forward because your strength is made perfect in weakness. And so teach us now, no one can teach like you. You are a teacher. You are the master teacher. And so, Master, we come now to sit at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take our text today from the book of Proverbs, chapter 30. And I'm going to read the first four verses. Proverbs 30 and 1 reads, The words of Agur, the son of Jekai, his utterance. This man declared to Ethiel, to Ethiel and Ucal, surely I am more stupid than any man and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if you know? I want to leave with you a thought. What is his name? What is his name? We're going to do a series over the next couple of weeks talking about his name. One interpretation of Agur is that it means the one who is brave in the pursuit of wisdom. Agur acknowledges that he has learned wisdom. In other words, the wisdom that I have, I have not been taught. I haven't had a teacher to teach me, and I didn't learn it in a book. But there's some things that I've come to know. And he starts to ask a series of questions. It also signifies one who is free from the burden of sin, which means he knows God in an intimate way. He doesn't have the things that most have. He counts himself as below average, but there's something he has that everybody ought to have. He calls himself one who has understanding that is less than a man because he hasn't learned wisdom. He doesn't have the knowledge of the Holy One. But then he starts to ask some provocative questions, some really, really provocative questions. He had, the first one is, who has ascended into heaven? or descended? Who's gone up to heaven from earth and who's come from heaven down to earth? 
Paul, in the book of Ephesians, talks about the descension and the ascension. And he's obviously talking about Jesus Christ, and he gives some insight to what the purpose was. He first talks about him descending to the lower part of hell. And he had already given us, before he descended, he gave his disciples the keys to the kingdom. But then he went down into hell, and John on the Isle of Patmos lets us know that Jesus took the keys of death and the grave. Jesus went down to take away the sting of death so that you and I could live. We who deserve to be punished and banished from God, Jesus came and stood in the gap and made up the hedge and said, no, not so. Prepare me a body. I'll go down. I'll go down from heaven to earth and from earth, earth to hell to save them from death. Adam, the first Adam, caused a falling away of humanity. But the second Adam, which is a quickening spirit, the first Adam was earthly. The second Adam was heavenly. And he went down and he took away the keys of death and the grave. Now, keys represent access. And so if you and I have the keys to the kingdom and Jesus has the keys to death, hell, and the grave, what does the enemy of our soul have access to? He has access to nothing unless you let him in. If you and your family are the only ones who have keys to your house, and only, only a stranger, the only way a stranger can enter, there are two ways, is to break in unlawfully or to ask you for access and entry. Unless we give access to the enemy of our soul, he has to do it unlawfully. And if he does it unlawfully, God has got him. God will always stand up for his children. The God who didn't spare his own son, how much more will he not give us all things by him? So he descended into the lower parts of, the, of hell, and then he ascended back up into heaven. Paul says, far above the heavens, that he might fill all things with himself. That he might fill all things with himself. David said it this way. I love what David said in Psalm 19. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. When he ascended, he filled up everything in the universe with himself. His glory is all around us. His glory is in nature. His glory is in those who believe on him. The glory of God is all around us. And I pray that the day will come when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, just as the waters cover the earth. That day is coming. Somebody say soon and very soon, I'm going to see the king. And so Agar is asking these questions that are provocative and that are deep from a man who confesses, I haven't, I don't have much in the way of learning. But that doesn't mean he doesn't know something. There are people very dear to me in my life. Some of them have gone from labor to rest, but they didn't know much in terms of the formal stuff. But because they knew God, they knew some stuff that scholars didn't know. Some folk who were first in their class at MIT is what you know. In the world, it's, it's all about who you know. But in the kingdom, it's about the knowledge of him. There are too many people that have a zeal towards God, but not according to knowledge. God said, my people perish because of the lack of knowledge, so don't get it twisted. When Agur says, I'm stupid, he's not saying that he's unlearned in the things of God. He's saying, I don't have all the things that this world can offer. In fact, his wisdom is shown later in this 
in this text. I encourage you sometime after the stream, if you can get to it today, to read the 30th chapter of Proverbs. In verses 7 through 9, he asked God for two things. He said, God, don't deprive me of these two things before I die. I need this in order to live right, in order to walk upright before you. First, God, deliver me from lying lips. Oh, my God, I wish that somebody in this generation would raise up their voice and say, God, deliver me from lying lips. Because we're living in a time where people are more prone to believe a lie than the truth. But Agar said, deliver me from this because I don't want to defile your name. You're a God of truth. Every word that comes out of your mouth is pure. So make me pure. Touch my mouth so that I am delivered from lying lips. And then he said, Lord, the second thing that I need from you, I'm calling on you, Lord, for this. Don't make me rich and don't make me poor. He said, because if I'm poor, I might steal. And that goes against you. I don't want to do that. I don't want to sin against you. So I don't want to be in a position where I am tempted to steal. So God, don't make me poor. Give me what I need. And he said, don't make me rich, lest I say, who is the Lord? He says, I know by observation that people who become rich, many of them forget about you. They start relying on their riches. That's why the Bible says, if riches increase, set not your heart upon it. And he said, God, keep these two things far from me so I can walk upright before you, so that I can abide in your presence, so that I can be pleasing in your sight. God, don't deprive me of these things before I die. God, give me just those two things. I don't need much, but just give me these two things, God, and I'll walk in a manner that pleases you. He then goes on to ask the second question. Who has gathered the wind in his fist? I want you right where you are to swipe and close your fist and open it and tell me what you find in there. Who has gathered the wind in his fist? He's talking about the supernatural, something that is not possible in the natural, something that is not possible by human means. What he's saying is there's something that is beyond your grasp. There are some things that only God can do. And that's why we need to rely on him because there are some things that are beyond you. You know in part, you prophesy in part, but God knows the whole. He's the one who has created the ends of the earth. He's the one who created both the, both the visible and invisible things. There's nothing beyond him. There's nothing he doesn't see. There's nothing he, don't know, he doesn't know. There's nothing he can't do. Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Jesus said, the wind blows where it listeth, but you don't know from where it came, and you don't know where it goes. The wind, we can feel the wind, we can see its effect. In the, in the autumn, when the leaves are falling and the winds blow, we see the, the leaves blowing in the wind, so we know the wind is there, but you can't grasp it. But we have a God who has his way in the whirlwind and the storm, and the very clouds are the dust of his feet. How great thou art. He then says, The next question, the third question, who has bound the waters in a garment? If you do an experiment and get a garment, and I look this up, I'm saying, he must be talking about something else. No, it's a garment. It's a piece of clothing. Try to bind water up and see if you can contain it. Contain it. It's going to leach out. It's going to leak out. It's going to escape. But God who spoke to the waters and drew a line 
and said, don't pass over. This earth is 75% water, but we don't all drown. We're not all under because the word of God said, this line, you shall not pass over. You can rave. The, the, the tide can raise. You will have tsunamis every now and then because of an earthquake under the sea. But the order that God set, the sun, the moon, the stars, the tide, and the line that the sea cannot pass over. They all must obey his voice, his voice, his word. Whatever God said is so, and so it is. He then says, who has established all the ends of the earth? Everything you see, who's established that? Is it the architect who built buildings? No, the architects built a building on the foundation that was already established. There's only one foundation. Now here's the interesting question. What is his name and what is his son's name? What does Agar know about the son of God? And they say that most scholars believe that it's Solomon the preacher who's writing this under the, under the guise of this person, Agar, who's one who's free from sin and one who pursues wisdom. The pursuit of wisdom is noble. Even though he said, I don't have it, he's constantly pursuing it. That's how you get it, by pursuing wisdom. It's time out for pursuing folly and foolish things. Let us together pursue wisdom. He says, what is his name and what is his son's name? As I thought about this and as I prepared for this message, I realized, and maybe you also realize, that in heaven there are many names. If you were to, when Moses first asked God, who should I tell them sent me? What is your name? He just said, tell them I am that I am. Tell them I am sent you. They don't need to know my identity by, because of my name. They will know it by my works. Watch what happens if they don't heed my word and let my people go. They're going to know who I am. But if you talk to our Jewish brethren, they would say his name is Adonai or Yahweh. And depending on the tradition in Christendom, some might say Jehovah. And then all the names that describe the character and nature of God that follow Jehovah, Shalom, Rapha, Zitkanu, uh, Jehovah Gabor, the God who fights for us. There are many, many names. But why is it that his son's name is one? Why is it that there are, if you look up the names of God, you'll get a long, long list. But his son's name is singular. God doesn't want there to be any confusion about the way of salvation. In earth, there's only one name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. God is saying, I don't want there to be any confusion. And that's why I get out of the way. I turn it all over to my son. In the first century, there was some debate, theological debate, great debate about the deity of Jesus Christ. In the first century, there were those who said, there has to be, there has to be an, a hierarchy and an order in the Godhead because Jesus is begotten. And the fact that he's begotten means that he's a lesser deity. He's not fully God. He can't be because he's begotten. My interpretation of that is that their theology is through the lens of anthropology. Anthropology is the study of man, of humankind. Theology is the study of God understanding the nature and character and ways of God versus the ways of men. If I think like a man, 
I'm saying, well, my son who came from my loins is lesser than I, at least from the beginning, because he was produced from me and his mother. He has to grow up. He comes, he starts out with very little. But I'm telling you that this kind of thinking, I'm glad was corrected because that kind of thinking is inconsistent with Scripture. And we'll, we'll deal with that in a minute. But then they decided to go to Nicaea and have a council of scholars and church leaders. And out of that came the Nicene, out of the Nicene council came the creed, which established Jesus as fully God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And what Agar is asking is, do you know his name? Do you know his son's name? And what he's really asking is, do you know him? There are some people who know his name, but they don't know him. That's why he had to ask, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Do you really know me? Philip, have I been so long with you and yet? Have you not known me? Don't you know when you see me, you've seen the Father? Don't you know I'm the express image? of him? Don't you know that I'm God in the flesh? Don't you know that I existed before? Didn't you hear my servant John say in the beginning was the word and the word was God, the word was with God? I am the expression of God. There's nothing that was created that I didn't create. I am the creative expression of the, that comes out of the mouth of God. And so theologically, this debate came to an end, at least for many, out of the Nicene Council. But what is his name? What's in a name? When you search the scripture, the name Jesus is mentioned 973 times in the Bible, and Christ 555. So Jesus is mentioned a total of 1,528 times. And at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue shall confess to the glory of God the Father. So his name is mentioned more than any other name, and I'm sure that doesn't surprise anyone. The second most frequent name mentioned in the Bible is David. David's mentioned 1,011 times because he's the great king. He is the one who passed the scepter onto the lion of the tribe of Judah. God chose him and promised that he would make him a great name. In fact, it's written in 2 Samuel 7 and 9. God gave David a great name to form a covenant with him. And the, the verse says, And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of great men who are on the earth. God testified that he made David a great name. There are too many people trying to make a name for themselves. When you try to make a name for yourself, it's fleeting. But when God makes you a great name, your name will stand. Today, as I look in the sanctuary, I look right over here, I see the Star of David. All over Israel, the flag that represents the country is the Star of David. For all generations, David's name has still been honored anywhere in the world where there's a synagogue, you'll see the star of David. God said, I will make your name great. And just as he promised him, every generation knows David. Every Jewish child who's born honors David as the great king of Israel. If you want a name, young lady, young man, 
Let God give you a great name. Know your purpose. There's a destiny that he already has for you. God has secrets that he wants to reveal to you about your future. Stay in his presence and he'll show you the way to go. He'll, he'll open up doors and establish networks. Create the right people to come into your life so that they will bless you and bless your path. God is the only one who can give you a great name that will last. Yeah, people can make a name for themselves, especially in the days of social media, but it is fleeting. The next name that is most frequently mentioned in the Bible is Moses. And Moses' name is 828 times mentioned in the Bible, in both the Old and the New Testament. He was a servant of God who was faithful over God's house. But Jesus, the writer of Hebrew tells us, was a son of the house. And that's why he's above Moses. David was a great king. God made him a great king. But Jesus, who was in heaven from the beginning, who existed, he's a self-existing one, with the Father and with the Spirit is above. But David is honored through lineage by him. The next one is a mystery. The fourth most mentioned name is Saul. Talk about someone who wanted to make a name for themselves. Because of his disobedience, God took the kingdom away from him. His name is mentioned, but for what? Don't, I, don't, I don't want you to miss this. Just because someone's name is known doesn't mean it's known for good. It doesn't mean it's known for good. We're living in a time and in an age and in a generation where it's said that all publicity is good publicity. And so people do things that they know are wrong because it brings attention. It's like clickbait, clickbait. Things like people like it, and some people even believe it, and that's why a lie and perversion can prevail in the hearts and minds of some because you get this herd effect, and everyone runs to it. But greatness comes from God. It's God who judges. He puts down one and he sets up another. Everything else is an illusion. It's a mirage. It is not real. It is fake. Only what you do for Christ will last. And the fifth most repeated name is Jacob at 358. And as I saw this, I thought, I would have thought Abraham would have been in the top five because Abraham is the father of faith. And Jacob is two generations removed from him. Well, his proximity to the Messiah is closer because out of his loins came Judah, and out of Judah came the line of the tribe of Judah. So Israel, or Jacob, has a place. But what about Abraham? We'll deal with that next week. I don't want to stray too much, but what is it that causes Abraham to be mentioned less than all these others except for Jesus, who is the Christ? Now, let's settle this thing that was a debate in the first century, that Jesus must be a lesser deity because he was begotten. He can't be a creator because he was created. He was begotten in the sense that God says, this is my son. I'm going to send him to the earth. But he sent them from heaven. He ascended from heaven and descended to earth. But then he ascended back to heaven, far above the heavens to fill all things with himself and is seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm standing before you right now. You can all see me. And I am in three parts 
but I'm one person. But I promise you, I have a soul. I have the ability to feel. I have emotions. I have a mind. And I have a will to decide what's wrong, what's right, what to do, what not to do. And God gave us all a free will. He put it in our soul. That's why the Bible says God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. The first place that God touched in you and me is our soul. That is the essence of our being. But I also have a spirit. And the Bible says the body without the spirit is dead. And that's why the word of God is both letter and spirit. Because the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that quickeneth. And quickens in the Greek just means simply to give life. Life is in me. I'm able to reason and have consciousness and talk to you because of the spirit that God put in me and in you. And then I, it's all wrapped up in flesh. I have a body. In order to live in a material world, God formed us out of matter. He took the dust of the earth and he made us. And so you see me standing as one but I'm three parts. That is what it means when the Bible says we're created in the image of God. And so theologically, people get tripped up and they give hierarchy and order and rank, but God is one in unity. God, there's none greater than the Father, but because of the way God is, God is able to, God is not insecure. See, people are insecure. And so we fight for power. We fight for significance. We fight for belonging. We want to be in more, most of the problems in the world today are problems that you can trace to lust and lust for power. Wars happen because of that. Economic Fighting happens because of that, because you want to dominate. You want to feel superior. God doesn't suffer from that complex. God knows that I'm all in all, and all is in me. There's no life apart from me. There is no power except the power of God. And so God knows that. And, so, and he also dwells outside of time so he can be patient. When I lose patience, God is patient because he knows what's going to happen. He's already determined what's going to happen. He sees the end from the beginning. And so as we strive to be more like him, we need to know him in a way that we can answer these questions that Agar asked so that we are so intimate with him, we're not insecure. We're no longer insecure. We're courageous, like those young women who stared down a gun battle with just on a prom dress. They have no weapons, and yet they're winning because those who threaten them have to reason in themselves. How would I look if I gunned down innocent young women who have no weapons? If you do that, the world is coming for you. The world is coming for you, everybody of good conscience. And if you don't, their demands are going to be heard. It's a hard situation. That's the brilliance that comes with courage that has humility. But when I lust for power, it causes evil to come out. And the stuff that I'll do just to get power will violate the things of God. People of God, it is important for us always to know who God is and who we are. In God, all things are possible. But it's when we rely on him, when we lean on him, that's how that comes to pass. We must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Here's what Paul says in the first chapter of Colossians. I love Colossians. 
I think it's the most, if you want to learn about God, if you want to understand theology in a way that's practical and simple, simple in the sense that it's not complicated, it's not academically deep, read the book of Colossians. Colossians 1, 13 through 7 says this, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And remember, agar, part of what it means is one who is free from the burden of sin. So theologically, he was on track. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So this gives insight on two levels. First, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The God you can't see, you see in him. Philip, have I been so long with you and yet you haven't known me? Don't you know when you see me, you've seen the Father? I'm the physical manifestation of the invisible God. He was born of a woman so that he could take on the sin of you and me. He's the firstborn of over all creation. Over all creation. For by him... All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. I love this about this book that Paul wrote is because it brings theology to life. The words explain themselves. There's nothing that exists that doesn't exist by him and that is not in him, and everything consists in him. An example, a living illustration of all things, whether they're principalities, whether they're angels, whether they're men, women, boys, girls, fish in the sea, whatever is created and has life, came from him and is sustained by him. He is the word he is the wisdom of God. The Bible describes him as many, many things. What is his name? And what is his son's name? There's a reason that his son's name is one, so that none would be confused at how or the way to get to God. Those who say all paths lead to God. Not sure what they mean by that, but there's only one way to get to him. If I take a path that's the wrong path, the only way I'm led to God is if I get on the right path. God can use anything in our life for correction and bring us there, but it's dangerous to think that I'm all right as I am if I'm not in him. Because if I'm not in him, I'm perishing. But if I'm in him, I shall not perish. Because he's the preservative. He's the preserver. He's the keeper. He's the redeemer. He is the one who's able, not one is lost who come to him. He's able to keep that which is committed unto him against that day. In Mark, the fifth chapter, there's a story in verses 6 through 10. When Jesus gets on a boat and goes over to where the Gadarenes are, and these are 
of the tribe, the descendants of Gad, who separated themselves from the other 11 tribes. And they had, got, they had fallen into their economic livelihood was in swine. And being Jewish, they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have done that. But now it was a part of their economy. And as my dear beloved friend and brother talked about last week about cultural iniquity, there are some things that we get caught up in as a culture, and it, and it begins to feel right because everyone does it. Our conscience is no longer pricked because it's been justified. And it's even if a law isn't right, but it is the law, you say it's good. But in the Bible, that's not how the apostles did it. When the law was unjust, and when the Roman soldiers said, do not speak in his name, they didn't stop because they were honoring the God who created all things, not just for themselves, but for the benefits of those who were rejecting him. They wanted them to know the truth because this was about life and death. It wasn't about temporal power. And as it was in Rome, it was about power. The word of God was a threat. And as I mentioned earlier, you, you track or trace the trouble in the world. Name a nation, any nation. It is because of a lust for power. And that's why we need to know the power of God, because that settles us. That causes us to be content. And it causes us to overcome cultural iniquity. It's not the willful sin that someone commits. That's personal. You make a decision not to do something that God says and to do something that you want to do. That's called sin. That's missing the mark. But cultural iniquity is when everyone is swept up into it and you don't even see it for what it is. It's not even a question of right or wrong. It's ju it just is. So you say it is what it is. Mark 5 reads, when he saw Jesus afar off. Now, who is he? This is the man who was cutting himself in the tomb. His name was legion, as Jesus asked and found out, because there were many. There are 2,000 demons, more than 2,000 in this one man. He was tormented. When he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him. Oh, even those demons that control this man that had him in caves, in the tombs, day and night, cutting himself. No one could bind him. They put chains and fetters. He broke them. He had superhuman strength. But when he saw Jesus afar off, the demons pushed him and began to worship. When you're in the presence of Jesus, there's only one thing to do. Even the devils know that. That's to worship him. They began to worship. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus? What is his name? What is his son's name? The devil knows his name. The devil knows his name. He said, what have I to do with you? Did nobody introduce them? Jesus just got off the boat and started walking. I want you to know if Jesus Christ is in you, he's the hope of glory. And before you get to where you're going, there are some who will see you fall off and know that Jesus is in you. There's something in you that causes the devil to stand at attention. And after the, these devils worship, they cried out with a Lord, loud voice, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Agar says, I might not have the knowledge of the Holy One. I might not have as much learning as you have, but there's some stuff I know that I have not been taught. And now you have a devil who's acknowledging that Jesus is the son of the most high. He said, what do I have to do with you? you if, I, 
in your presence. I know you're coming to torture me. God don't do that. You've got power over me. I've had power over this man for all these years. He does whatever I tell him to do. He can't get rid of me. The people around him, they have no power. They're powerless against me. But now you showed up. What are you doing here? I can't fight against you. They, the devil recognized that there is no power except the power of God. The devil is not that foolish, but there are people walking around lusting for power, not recognizing, not submitting to his power. But I want to serve notice today that the day will come that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess of things in heaven and things on the earth and things under the earth. Everybody's going to acknowledge it. That's why it is good, it is wise for us to acknowledge it now, to acknowledge him now. What is his name and what is his son's name? He says, I implore you, by God, that you do not torment me. I know you have the power to torment me. Don't do it. I also know that you're merciful and that you're kind. And even the devils knew how to pray, knew how to petition, knew how to beseech him. For he said to him, come out of, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begs him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Cultural iniquity. These demons know that not everybody's going to accept us. Lord, we can only survive and thrive here. Culturally, they've embraced us. And so, we, this is our territory. Whatever you do, we know you have the power to torment us, but whatever you do, don't send us away from here. I want you to hear the cries of these devils. There are some that are in places they ought not to be. They don't have the keys to anything. They only have access to what we in the kingdom allow them to access. Jesus has the king, the keys to death and hell. We have the keys to the kingdom because he gave it to us. Even the devils tremble at his name. They know his name. Jesus, thou son of the most high. What is his name? And what is his son's name? God wants us to be clear about that and he wants it to be no confusion. He's, he's keeping all the many, many names stored up in heaven. But under heaven, there's only one where people can be saved because God wanted the way to be so plain that even a fool couldn't error, says the prophet Isaiah. There's a way and a highway, and the way shall be called the way of holiness. I would to God today that God would grip you in such a way that you sense his love for you. No matter where you are in your life, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, he's saying, forget about those things that are behind. I want you to reach forth to that which is before. Today I've come to reveal secrets to you about your life, about your future, about your purpose, and about your destiny. I want you to walk in it. I prepared something for you. It is tailor-made just for you, not for anyone else. You're the only one who can walk in it. And if you don't walk in it, it'll be a path that goes untraveled. There are too many people who leave this earth and have not achieved what they were born to achieve. One of the ways to begin to understand that is to know his name and to know his son's name because God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear 
ye him. So it is the will of God our Father that we know his will. It is the will of God that we see the just one, the only one who's just, the one who's able to justify you and me, and that we hear the voice of his mouth. And Jesus said it this way, my sheep, if you belong to me, you know my voice and you will not follow a stranger. And so we claim that word over your life and my life today so that we would not be bound by cultural iniquity. So that we would not be a people who have a zeal towards God, but not according to knowledge. We wanna know him and the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. And so today, I pray that you would be more clear than ever in your life about who he is. Father, today, let there be such a blessing that's released that we would see you with new eyes, that we would see you in a way that is so clear that we would know you deeper and broader and higher that we might know the depth and the breadth and the height of the manifold wisdom of Christ imparted unto us today your servants in Jesus name amen and now may the Lord bless you may the Lord keep you may the Lord be gracious unto you May the Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace. And may he bless your seed unto a thousand generations. Go with God and keep the faith. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.